Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend, and welcome into the conversation. Today, I'm going to delve a little deeper into subpersonalities. Now, I did do a complete episode on subpersonalities, explaining what they were and how they developed, and I'll touch upon that today. But if you want to dive a little deeper, if you like this episode, you can go to episode 219, the title of which is The Roots of Self-Sabotage and Undesirable Behavior. In this episode, I'm going to touch upon the, the five most common aspects or subpersonalities that are developed as we grow up. Now, before I get into subpersonalities a little deeper, I'm going to talk about self-concept, personality, self-identity. Our identity, our personality is developed incrementally over time. We're just, someone just doesn't wave a wand and suddenly we have a self-concept or we have an identity. It's forged belief by belief, circumstance by circumstance, and along the way, we have ideas about ourselves that are splintered off. They're separated. Those are sub-personalities, aspects of the whole. Now, most people aren't necessarily conscious of these sub-personalities. You're aware, though, that you think one thing here and another thing over here, and they seem to be in direct opposition to each other. You might create an intention for your life and a desired, and it feels as if part of you is sabotaging your progress. And it's basically because there's an aspect or a sub-personality that is operating on a different agenda. So when we have an aspect or a sub-personality that's born, it continues to live at the age that it was born. Because on the subconscious level, we don't necessarily differentiate between the past, the present, and the future. The subconscious mind is living in the present moment. And so something that you learned when you were six or a decision that you made when you were eight is continues continues as a perspective, as a valid perspective on the world, unless it's updated. And many, many times, these younger aspects, these younger subpersonalities are never, ever updated. And so someone develops a, a pattern of how to respond in anger in their teen years as they establish their sense of individuality. And that, that pattern of anger occurs the same way over time. So as an adult in your 20s, your 30s, 40s, even 70s, you could be responding in anger from the same pattern that you learned at age 13. Now, over the years, psychologists and metaphysical healers, spiritual gurus, have talked about these subpersonalities as shadow aspects or doing shadow work. I really like the vernacular of a subpersonality, and I was first introduced to the idea when I was 28, when I was first learning neurolinguistic programming. In fact, it opened up the first, I guess, major breakthrough in my self-identity. And I go into detail around that in episode 219. But ever since I've been fascinated with how people are put together, about the self-identity, about self-concept, why do you think the things you think? Beliefs that you developed when you were six, why are they still present when you're 28 or 58? And frankly, it's because they've never been updated. 
And these aspects that are not updated, they occur to us as self-sabotage. They also occur as a split mind of not being able to make a decision because we can see the benefits of one side of it and then the benefits of another side of it, and they seem equally important. Or we have fears about moving forward. We have fears about relationships or whether or not the world is safe or unsafe. So these subpersonalities influence all different aspects of our life, of our expression. And ultimately, I work with people to integrate the subpersonalities into a cohesive whole so that you work as a team and you don't have all these independent subpersonalities working at different points of your life. You see, these subpersonalities essentially work independently because once they're developed, once they're born, so to speak, born into existence, and we say that metaphorically, they're not really born, but it's a useful way of thinking about these, and it really translates in our experience. And so these subpersonalities are born with a singular focus. They're almost maniacal in their approach. They have a single strategy to deal with pain or a single strategy to save and protect yourself. And so you can look at patterns in your life where you have a predictable way of responding to a threat, predictable way of responding to criticism, a predictable way uh, that you respond in anger, or even a predictable way in what, what motivates you. How do you get motivated? Because that was born at a particular time in your life. It's a strategy or a process or a thought process or a pattern that you've adopted. And once it works, you tend to use it all over the place, even though it may not be effective all over the place. And that's why it sometimes occurs as self-sabotage. Now, I don't believe we intrinsically are designed to have a pattern or programming in our head to self-sabotage. It's not a motivation. And so what we're responding to is a desire to be safe. Some aspect or some sub-personality recognizes the intention that you've created for yourself is some way dangerous to your well-being, dangerous to your overall happiness, or it perceives that it's going to be really difficult. And so it will steer you away from that based on the historical evidence that it is operating from. Now, as I proceed and talk about the most common subpersonalities, you're probably going to be uh, recognizing different aspects, and it may make a little more sense on what's their. Now, as I continue to discuss the most common subpersonalities, you're probably going to be able to identify with different aspects of those, different representations, and you'll get a, a, a I guess, a broader understanding of what subpersonalities may or could be. Now, if you've been listening to me for any length of time, you understand that I have a focus around self-concept, self-identity. Hence, the title of the podcast, uh, The Aligned Self, is how do you align all aspects? How do you align your heart with your mind and your body? And so an aspect of the formation of our self-identity is our relationship to our subpersonalities. Now, there's other dimensions to our self-identity, but the subpersonalities influence a lot of our behavior. Now, in episode 219, I discussed how I was writing a book on self-identity. Now, in that episode, I made a request for people to contact me if they wanted to work with me one-on-one to integrate their subpersonalities. These people I'm using as case studies for my book. Now, originally, I was going to use these case studies in the book on self-identity, 
But since I've decided to focus on subpersonalities, I would like to make a request for an additional half a dozen people to work with me one-on-one as case studies. Now, there is an investment, but nowhere near what I normally charge. When I typically work on individuals in integrating the subpersonalities, uh, my fee begins at $2,500 and is typically around a half a dozen to 10 sessions. But in some cases, we can integrate everything in just a couple sessions because it just works cohesively. Everyone's a little bit different. And so I charge by the result and not necessarily by the number of sessions. But for the case study, we'll do a minimum of six sessions. And so what do people experience after integrating their subpersonalities? Well, there's a sense of ease and peace that's typically there. There's an increased level of joy. Aspects of ourselves that have decided that it's not a safe place. Once we update them and incorporate them into our whole, there is a greater sense of relief in joy because we experience the world in a new way. We experience the opportunity not, you know, to move forward and not not necessarily the aspects that present potential danger, which can be relationships, intimate relationships, uh, moving forward, potential rejection. Once you realize through the integration of all these different parts that together you can handle anything that comes up, you begin moving in the world with a new sense of confidence and ease. There, there's an element of joy. Now, for some people, these this integration process is dramatic. And for other people, it's more subtle. It's just like everything seems brighter. There's a sense of joy in being in the world. And it's something shifted, something changed, but you can't quite put your finger on it. And that's how it occurs for others. I guess the biggest shift that people can experience is it suddenly, it feels as if you're more focused. It feels as if you're more congruent, like all parts of you agree. You don't feel like you're an imposter. There's a sense of solidity to your self-identity. So as we're developing, as we're forming our self-identity, what are some of the more common subpersonalities that are created at different points in our life? The most common ones for many people are subpersonalities that are born in childhood. And you probably heard in the vernacular of inner child work, and that has a lot to do with working with these these subpersonalities that are born at ages six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, in that range. Typically, that's when we become more individualized. We start generalizing our experience of the world. And so if something happens to us, rather than being an isolated incident, we tend to generalize that this is the way the world works. This is how, you know, my interaction with reality is going to occur. And so there's typically a moment where we are shamed in some way. We do something wrong or someone says something to us in a way where we feel as if, oh my God, I'm not enough. It can also occur in an interaction with an adult, typically our parents, where they say something or respond to us in a way where you don't feel safe, like the world's not safe. And so there's a a certain amount of fear that you carry forward from that point in time, um, and you're frozen in time, that you're not safe. You're not safe in intimate relationships. You can't trust the people close to you. And so that's perpetuated forward. 
And then another incidence that can generate a subpersonality is a loss of innocence. And that can occur at, you know, all three of those dynamics may occur at once where you are not enough, you know, you don't feel safe, and you have to grow up quickly. You have to adopt a different attitude. You have to be more on the defensive, more aggressive. And aggressiveness is only one aspect or one demonstration of this stress response. Another response could be where you freeze, where you're immobilized. You know, when when you're stressed or when you're in a new situation or you don't feel safe, you can't take action. You, You can't respond. You don't know what to say. There's this feeling like, I don't know what to do. The other response is that you want to flee. You just want to get away. You don't want to, you avoid conflict. You you don't want to be in the presence of people that are threatening or situations that could potentially threaten you. So your comfort zone begins to shrink. Another response that can occur when we lose our sense of innocence, when, you know, we could be embarrassed at some level of ignorance, something occurs and we realize that we're not that savvy, where we haven't kept pace with the other people in our world. Perhaps we've been living inside our head quite a bit, and we do that a lot as kids, even as adults. But we have a realization that if we don't update, if we don't you know, become cool, if we don't step into being on pace with everybody else, then we're going to be left behind. And what typically happens is an aspect or our younger self is left behind. There is a phenomenon that whenever we experience um, a loss of innocence that, you know, we can't continue the way we've been up till then, we, we leave an aspect of ourselves behind. We abandon our child, our inner child. And typically people have a sense that they are abandoned or a sense of abandonment which is something they can experience with the parental figures in their life or some other aspect could be friends. But typically, it also involves yourself. You've abandoned an aspect of yourself. And in going back and rescuing that part and bringing it forward and incorporating it into your heart can change everything. And again, I want to point out that when these subpersonalities are developed, whether it's six, seven, eight, they move forward in time with a perspective on the world of a six, seven, or eight-year-old. Another subpersonality that's typically born in the teen years, and when you're striking out on your own, developing your individuality, you tend to rebel. So there's a rebellious part of you that's there, and it can be big changes in how you interact with people, big changes on how you perceive yourself. And that can be beneficial, and it can also be detrimental. A detrimental aspect of that time period, of that that genesis of that individual, genesis of that subpersonality, is a feeling that no one understands you. No one gets you. Like, you don't fit in. You're weird. You're different. And in some ways, you don't even feel like you're lovable. Like, nobody will love you. Maybe you don't have friends, or maybe your friend circle is really small. And then another dynamic that can occur and typically occurs in the teen years is when you have your first love, your puppy crush. And, you know, I call it puppy crush because we evolve over time. But it's it's that first relationship that we're in, and it typically does not end well for one of the individuals. Somebody is left aside because, you know, we're fickle when we're young. We have a different perspective on love, but that's where our idea of love is shaped. We also look at our our parents as an example of what love is and how it's expressed. 
which can be positive or it can be detrimental, like I said before. So depending on how that first relationship ended, you make decisions about yourself, about your lovability, about your attractiveness, and it governs how you proceed from that point forward in relationship, how you respond to criticism, how you respond to see those first few um, those first few relationships are huge in developing an idea about who we are and how we're going to relate to people from that point forward. And so at that point in time, a subpersonality is created that can be rather limited in its perspective of love and moving forward. Now, another subpersonality that a lot of people don't really consider um, is your parental subpersonality. You see, you have a representation of your mother and your father, if you had those in your life, inside you. And so if you had a, a parent or a parental figure that was critical of you, that had a critical voice, that critical voice that you have today comes from that parent. And then speaking of the critical voice, it reminds me to talk about the aspect that, uh, of the good boy or good girl is also alive in us. There's a personification of a wanting to please, a wanting to avoid pain, avoid focus sometimes, avoid the criticism. And so people tend to develop into a people pleaser. They're very pleasing. They're please. They're very agreeable. They don't like conflict. Uh, they go with the flow. And this, this aspect of the subpersonality develops poor boundaries or never develops boundaries. Sometimes we learn that from our parental figure. So that internal representation of our mother or our father, if they were a martyr, if they put their wants and needs on the back burner for everybody else, and then also complained about it, no one appreciates me, no one values me, that you learn that on a subconscious level. That is a subpersonality that you carry forward. And you may see that in your behavior. And if you're a male, you more likely identify with the man in the house. And if you're a female, you identify with the female in the house, your mother. But in the absence of a parental figure in the house, you have some other representation inside you of what a father or what a mother would be like. And that may or may not be very accurate. There's another subpersonality that's born in early adolescence or mid-adolescence, and that what I, it's what I call the manipulator. You've learned techniques, you've learned strategies in order to manipulate the attention, manipulate the energy in order to where you feel good. And uh, you've carried that forward. And it, you can see it as a theme or a thread that runs through all your relationships in one way or another. Now, for example, for sometimes for women, they realize that their body or their sexuality gets them things. And so they will tend to focus on that as an attribute and carry that forward. And with that said, it's, it's not only our perceptions about ourselves, but it's our perceptions of other people. So our ideas about men and women are formed in those adolescent years or early 20s. And we tend to generalize and carry that forward. One man becomes all men. One woman becomes all women. You know, how your experience of one woman was, you tend to generalize that to that's how all women are. And you see, this is a big example in common culture right now, is that those people that have had experiences with narcissistic, patriarchal men, or that were misogynistic, they tend to see all men that way. They, they villainize all men. And in actuality, it's actually a small percentage 
of the number of men that actually behave that way. Yet, if you listen to the mouthpieces out there, if you listen to the people that are screaming that this is the way men are, um, well, I beg to differ. You can, you can see a lot of different examples. They're basically operating from their past experience with men generalizing it across the board. The same with men, generalizing ideas and concepts about women. So you're beginning to see how pervasive these ideas, these subpersonalities, once created, how they impact our life, impact our behavior, not just in one area, but in every area. If you don't think things are safe out there, you'll tend to be more reticent. You won't approach people. You won't initiate conversations. If in your early years you got shot down, if you're a man, if you got shot down by a woman and in approaching her or asking for a date or you tend to generalize that moving forward and you don't go after women that you find attractive, you go after the women you think you can get. And that's just not one side of the fence. It happens on the other side of the fence with women too. Women tend to settle. Women tend to, you know, go after what they think they can get based on their past experience. Very, very seldom do people upgrade, you know, their sense of self. And that's not just with relationships. It's with jobs. That's with life situations. Once you've fallen into a particular story, It takes a rewriting of the story, a realignment of your internal aspects of self in order to move to a whole new level of being. And that brings me to another common uh, subpersonality that's created. And there's there's over a dozen different subpersonalities and different aspects that are created for different individuals. And every person's story is a little bit different. So it's always fascinating to me to work with the different individuals and the different complexities of how these different subpersonalities interact. And to me, that's such an adventure. And it's so gratifying in working with people one-on-one and the ahas. And I, I can actually see the physical changes take place. And will um, something I didn't do in the first six case studies that I want to do in the second case study, six case studies, is I want you to take a picture of yourself beforehand. And then we take a picture at the end. Because through the process of working with people, I see their facial expressions change, their facial features, the amount of tension in their jaw, the, the, the wrinkles smooth out in their forehead and around their eyes. It's completely amazing to watch the transformation as we reintegrate all these different sub-aspects. But so far, we've been talking about detrimental aspects of our sub-personalities. What most people carry around inside of them is their ideal self or their, their like the personification of their best life. That exists in you too, and it pulls you forward. You have a vision, a personification of what that looks like. And part of the process is we integrate that part into you also. And that, that part begins informing all your future actions and can help bring cohesiveness to all aspects of you. So this future self, your up-level self, the, your, your ideal self, it has embodied all your dreams. It has embodied the, the level of confidence that you would like to exude you know, from your being today. If you want or see yourself as potentially being more confident, that is personified out there somewhere in the future. And so when you integrate that, it really makes a profound difference. 
So as you listen to this episode, you may be identifying with different aspects, different subpersonalities that have been created in your past, you know, at different points in your life, different uh, events that occurred. You splintered off, an aspect of you was born, developed, developed a viewpoint, made circumstances or uh, made some things mean certain things to you about yourself. Now, I told the story before that I had an experience when I was eight years old and that eight-year-old moved forward and that eight-year-old was governing my relationships. I had an event in third grade class. I passed a love note that was rejected. And in that moment, I made a decision that I can love women, but I can't trust them. And then the adult in the room did not understand my point of view, did not understand me. So I, I realized that I will never be understood. People just won't understand me. And until I healed that, I carried that forward in every relationship. And I always expected, you know, I had this trust issue of that at some point you would betray me. It, it, not necessarily in, you know, infidelity or, you know, stepping outside of a monogamous situation, but we might have made a promise together early on. And then you ended up breaking it. And I, and that happens that, you know, people change in relationship, but I made that mean, like when it came up, it was significant, more significant than if I had not healed that. And so you can imagine um, how distant I was at times in certain relationships because I was just waiting for the moment. I was waiting. I was in the relationship waiting for the moment you would end up betraying me. You would betray a trust. You would break an agreement. You know, how is that really being in a relationship? It was not satisfying at all over the long run. It wasn't until I healed it where it really opened up my heart, really made intimacy and connection possible. Now, at the time of this publication, there are spots available to work with me a one-on-one at a reduced rate. Now, I do want to say there is an investment. I do require an investment, but it's nothing near what I normally charge. And I guarantee that you're going to get a result, a stellar result, that you're going to be completely satisfied at the end of working together with me. And I guarantee that I will work with you until, even if it takes, you know, a year, because I'm committed to you getting the result. And, but I've never had to do that. Never had to work with people typically more than six times. And so we're going to get the result that you want, that you'll be satisfied for sure. So if you think that you're a candidate for this process to be a case study, or if you just want to work with me in this realm, one-on-one -on -one at a reduced rate, apply to be part of the case study. Send me an email at support at denovi.com. That's support at denovi.com. That's my last name. And I'm not going to put the email in the show notes because that's searched by bots and I get all kinds of spam. But if you can't remember this, you can always go to yesdaniel.com and at the bottom of the page is a comment. You can send me an email. A lot of people comment on the impact of uh, the episodes, the, ep the impact of the podcast. Just to, They just want to communicate sometimes and you can do that. Tell me what you think if you want to. Send me an email via the comment section at the bottom of yesdaniel.com. One last thing that I want to say in this is that when I work with people one-on-one, -on -one, especially in this genre, we'll get to know each other really, really well. And uh, I'm very non-judgmental. I don't really judge what you've been through or what decisions you've made in your life. It's like, oh, isn't that interesting? And we see if it still works for you. If it doesn't work for you, we create different alternatives. 
I'm very big at creating a safe place for you to show up in, one where you can feel loved unconditionally, sometimes for the very first time. That's what I offer. That's who I am. And so if you want to work with me, contact me today because these spots will fill up. They filled up like all within a couple days the last time I offered this. It is a once in a lifetime opportunity. So if you think you're a fit or already know you're a fit, then contact me right away. Until next time, this is your friend and host, Daniel DeNovi, urging you to follow your bliss, live your life from inner signals, be inner directed as you engage in the epic adventure. (laughs) 